This is episode 78 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Today's articles are The Art of the Gray Man Staying Unseen in Public, Are Your Instincts Putting Your Child in Danger, and Six Ways Famine Might Grip the U.S. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily aggregator of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey guys, uh, I've been involved uh, here, well just recently, the the Prepper Bundle that's put on by the Self-Reliant School uh, was released uh, and that started uh, today, uh, Wednesday. Um, you know, again, I'm recording this really late at night. Uh, the Prepper Bundle consists of 27 ebooks, three e-courses and videos, and then nine bonus offers. It's a, it's a $309 value for $29.97. Uh, that is like electronic download. Uh, you can get, you choose to get like uh, the first aid. I'm sorry. Now, I'm looking at I'm looking at the topics. So let me run down the topics really quick for you, because there's a lot of uh, a lot of ebooks in these topics. So food and water is one, and I'm going to have to scroll here just for a second. Survival is another one. Um, first aid and survival kits, shelter, and managing preps. So um, you know a lot of a lot of ebooks in those categories there. And so, like I said, you can do the the download, the digital download for twenty nine ninety seven. Uh, there is a flash drive that you can you can get for fifty four ninety seven, and then there is um, the uh, the the digital download and the flash drive for fifty nine ninety seven. So you can go ahead and get the the digital download and start looking at stuff now, and then uh, get the flash drive uh, a little bit later on as it comes. So you'll have that. I, I do recommend that everyone has a flash drive of some sort that you can uh, put uh, backup information on. I mean, I definitely, I use that every single day, uh, even just with uh, the podcast when I'm doing that. But uh, so I'm going to go ahead and uh, link to that on uh, episode 78. You can go ahead and check that out. There is, uh, you know, go to the website. There's a video there with information and then, uh, you know, uh, a lot of other information on the, uh, on the, on the page uh, if you're interested in that. And uh, again, I'll be uh, linking to that as well on PrepperWebsite.com at the top of the page. It's, it's only out for a couple of days, so if this is something that's interesting to you, which there is a lot of information here, um, you know, go ahead and go check that out and see if uh, you know you want to go ahead and make that purchase. So uh, let's go ahead and get on with the podcast tonight. Our first article comes to us from, or I should say, today. Uh, it's it's kind of hard to remember that I'm. Uh, recording for the daytime uh, or at least for the next day when it's nighttime and it's really late. Um, Be Survival, this is coming to us from BeSurvival.com. The article is entitled, The Art of the Gray Man Staying Unseen in Public. So let's go ahead and start reading this one. Although the task may seem impossible, you truly can remain anonymous even when surrounded by people. As a prepper, you don't want to be identified as the guy who got it all figured out when everything is going to chaos. Despite the downsides, you may have to face the masses in a survival situation, especially in an urban environment. With necessary survival gear on, like if you're bugging out when all hell is breaking loose, you have to remain hidden and unseen or possibly face some nasty consequences. 
and learning Gray Man tactics preserve your privacy now so you can take care of business unseen. Staying unnoticed begins with what you are wearing. If you are wearing flashy clothing or even just an outfit that doesn't fit into the times and culture, you will stand out. Like in April, flip-flops work in Florida but not so much in Montana and vice versa for hoodies. It is important to know your setting and the type of crowd you will have to navigate through. Take a moment and ask yourself, are you in a tourist or college town? Is the primary high class or low primary is this primarily high class or low class? Yuppies or country folk? What is the weather going to be like? After identifying the types of people you are going to be surrounded by and the weather, try and dress appropriate to the setting. Although every situation is different, it is always a good start to wear natural colors without anything bright or flashy. In a crowd, if you are wearing bright or crazy fluorescent colors, you will be noticed even if it's just subconsciously by those around you. Additionally, avoid logos, brands, or scripts displayed in plain sight. Most clothing these days have some sort of slogan or branding on them. If you pass by someone with a blank t-shirt on, they may glance at you, but you will not completely register to them. However, a big logo or a slogan is guaranteed to strike a memory because as they pass you, their eyes will be automatically drawn to the text. Don't be afraid to accessorize yourself appropriately either. It is a, if it is a sunny day, don't be afraid to wear a standard pair of sunglasses or a hat. Conversely, if it's snowing, bring a scarf or gloves. But accessories can shoot you in the foot, like if you wear too many of them or wear them at the wrong time or pick flashy, expensive versions. It doesn't take an expert to realize sunglasses at night probably isn't going to be very helpful to you. The best gray man appears to be your average citizen who is non-threatening. When moving through a crowd, make fluid, natural, deliberate movements before you enter a public space, know your route and know you are go- where you are going to, how you are going to get from one point to another. Most people have their phones glued to their faces while walking. Use this to your advantage and take a peek at a device every now and then as you walk. Having to stop where you are going to figure out if you are on the right route or not is guaranteed to draw the looks of others to you. You cannot seem uncomfortable to others. Understand group movement and follow the crowd. If there is a particular attraction which is drawing people to it, go there. When exiting a crowd, do not go out alone. Try and find a group of others who are emerging from the masses and join their group to not appear out of place. Additionally, don't be afraid to talk to people. While it may not seem ideal when wanting to stay anonymous, you have to act natural. Just be vague with the conversation and keep it short. You do not want people to be able to remember you by the conversation for an extended amount of time. When away from your equipment, you still have to be prepared for anything to happen and be able to deal with the circumstances until you can make it back to your gear. However, to successfully carry gear means you must be able to keep it hidden from prying eyes. The last thing you want people knowing is that you are carrying you are carrying they might want. Uh, let me read that sentence again. The last thing you want people knowing is that you are carrying they might want. I guess really carrying something they might want is what it was supposed to say. If you opt to bring a carry bag with you, make sure it is small and not easy to steal or stand out. Small day packs make a good choice or messenger bags. Avoid military, tactical, and camo bags. Also avoid large hiking bags, especially those with external supports. Avoid any overly large bag altogether. If you do not want to carry any pack, 
Wear clothing that have discrete storage options. Store things on your person. Cargo pants hold many different pockets that you can put things in as well as vests. Don't stuff your pockets until they bulge either. While being prepared for everything is important, don't overgear yourself when in public. It will weigh you down and make you stick out like a sore thumb. And don't take your bag off while walking either. You will attract a lot of attention quickly. While staying unseen in a crowd may seem like an impossible feat, it is something that can be accomplished. By being conscious of what you are wearing and dressing to match the setting, you will avoid most unwanted glances altogether. Additionally, understand where you are trying to get to so you can navigate through a crowd seamlessly. Be careful not to make awkward or sharp movements as others are likely to take notice. Finally, wearing gear is usually necessary in such situations, but it must be done in a way that doesn't draw any attention. The art of remaining a gray man is difficult and takes practice, but luckily most of us can practice right now. Don't be afraid to practice properly moving through crowds now. A quick walk or a trip uh, downtown as a gray man can give you a lot of personal feedback. By mastering the art of disguise in plain sight, you will be a whole lot safer in many survivalist situations, especially for urban and city preppers. So, um, you know, you might want to think about why you would want to be the gray man or in what real situation. Okay, so um, maybe there is a, you know, uh, the poop has hit the fan and uh, you have to go maybe into town somewhere and you have to, uh, for whatever reason you have to, uh, you might need to be able to pull off the gray man uh, aspect of it. But I know that this topic comes up quite often and um, really you, you got to think about why you would want to be the gray man, you know, uh, for what reason uh, and uh, in what situations. So, um, you know, every single day of, you know, are, are you doing it every single day of your life? Why are you doing it every single day of your life? I mean, are, do you have something to hide there? Um, so, you know, the thing is, is that sometimes we have articles, we read articles and, and you know, you really want to start applying them. How, how do I apply it? So the fact is, is that you, you probably more than likely you're going to apply this situation or the gray man is when you, when you get into, uh, you know, the big you know, collapse scenarios and stuff like that to where you can uh, go out there and uh, really you're acting right. You're, you're acting like uh, you're part of the, you know, everybody else, like you, you, you're not all geared up and those kinds of things. You know, how would you pull that off? So uh, something to kind of think about where you would. Uh, put that into action for yourself. So again, that's bsurvival.com. You can go check that uh, that article out. All right. So uh, hey, I do want to say, you know, they mentioned cargo pants. I did a wedding uh, this last week, uh, maybe it was two weeks ago now, um, where the photographer I, I noticed that he was wearing cargo pants, uh, and uh, you know, he he was. Um, a lot of the times the photographers are, you know, like your artsy type people and uh, they're not really dressed up like everybody else at a wedding. Um, but I did notice that he had cargo pants on. So they were black. They looked kind of dressy. They were pressed. Uh, you know, he was wearing, you know, some nice boots uh, and he was wearing, you know, a, a T-shirt, uh, you know, a nicer T-shirt or whatever. But, uh, you know, I, the cargo pants did, and I don't know if that's just because that's my mind and my, you know, the way that I think and I'm paying attention to people. Uh, I don't, I don't believe that's the, that's the case. Um, but I did notice that he was wearing cargo pants. Now, um, 
in you know in the old days i would have said maybe a photographer wearing cargo pants makes sense because they're keeping film with them and in that kind of stuff now with digital cameras um you know not so much so um you know cargo pants do stick out whether they are um you know whether they're camo or what you know i mean you are going to recognize that so uh just wanted to, i just thought about that uh when when i was reading that part of it I was going to point that out okay so the next article comes to us from Active Response Training. And, um, you know, Active Response Training does a lot of scenarios. Um, uh, I believe uh, the owner over there is a police officer. And so uh, he he's a police officer, but he also does a lot of training. If I, if I remember correctly, I might be confusing him. But uh, he, he does a lot of these scenarios. He talks a little bit about uh, what he would do differently. And so I always like his articles. Uh, I think they, uh, for those of us who, um, you know, are, are out there, we want to make sure that we are uh, able to protect our family and, and things like that. Um, they give us something to think about, right? And so this one is specific to children. So if you are out there, if you are a parent, uh, you can still carry. If you are a grandparent, you can still carry or even you open carry. Um, this is something that you probably need to be considering. And then even if you don't carry, uh, but you have children, uh, getting them to understand that they're, you know, because he talks a little bit about, you know, how you want kids to maneuver when there is a situation. Um, you know, th I think this will be helpful as well. So let's go ahead and start reading this one. Uh, again, the title, Are Your Instincts Putting Your Child in Danger? Recently in my city, a man carrying his infant child in a car seat was accosted by an armed robber. The robber demanded the victim's wallet. The victim set the car seat on the ground and knelt in front of it to protect the baby as he complied with the robber's demand. The robber grabbed the wallet and started running away. The victim, a CCW license, licensee, took the opportunity to draw his pistol in case the robber returned. As the robber ran away, he turned and pointed the gun at his former victim. The CCW licensee fired one shot, hitting the robber. The victim here turned the tables on his attacker and in doing so protected his, his infant from harm. Or did he? It got me thinking about how parents instinctively try to shield their children from violence. It may not be a bad response at times, but on other occasions it could be deadly. If the robber in the scenario I described above fired back, where do you think his bullets would go? If he's firing at the victim and the victim is shielding a child, then the bullets are going to be coming close to the child he is trying to protect. That's not a good thing. However hard it may be, I think the safer thing for the victim to have done was to get some distance between himself and his child. How many parents have thought about that tactic? Being around unarmed friends and family members is a part of life for most of us who regularly carry a gun. Have you ever given any advice to your friends, children, or spouse about what to do if you are attacked? Each person's advice is likely to be different, but here are some things to think about. I have instructed my family and friends that, should we be attacked, they are to remain quiet and do exactly what I tell them to do. My goal will be to get them to safety before I engage, if possible. If things happen too quickly for me to tell them what to do, I have instructed them to get a as far away from me as possible once I draw my weapon. Teach your family about cover, which materials protect them from bullets and which won't. Should you have to draw your gun, instruct your friends and family to get away from you, get to cover, and call the police. 
Train them to give a description of you, gender, age, clothing, to police and tell them that you are a CCW permit holder. You don't want to be mistakenly shot by responding officers. Your companions also need to know not to leave their cover to approach your body if you are shot. For all they know, you could be playing dead in order to distract the attacker or get him to focus on something else. Having a family member leave cover to run up to your seemingly lifeless body will unnecessarily expose them to danger. It may be tough for your family to ignore the fact that you may be severely injured, but the most important thing they can do is to stay safe so that you do not have to worry about them as well. Teaching these concepts to young children can be especially challenging. Younger children have problems obeying orders under the best conditions, let alone when they are panicked at the, at the thought of their parents being killed. I would suggest that you start working with your children early. First, teach them about awareness. A friend of mine plays a game called I Spy with his two young children. You've probably played the game yourself when you were younger. One person starts out by saying I spy and gives a hint like something blue. The other person has to guess what the, other, what the original spy is looking at. My friend modifies the game with his young kids so that only people rather than objects can be spied. He plays the game with them in public areas when his attention might be diverted to other tasks like loading the groceries into the car or placing his youngest daughter in a car seat. In effect, he gets his children to be more aware of their surroundings and to serve as an extra set of eyes as he is busy completing his task. If his kids say, I spy a man with a gun, he knows he has to act. I think that's, uh, I think that's a good tactic because you get your kids... Um, where they're where they're being situationally aware in times where it is critical. So maybe walking around the store wouldn't be as critical as moving from um, you know the exit to the uh, to the parking lot and loading groceries. Uh, I mean, eventually you do want them to be aware at all times, but uh, you know I do think that's that's a it's a neat tactic where you're wanting them to to especially hyper focus uh, at that time. Or be hyper aware. Um, all right, continuing on. Uh, additionally, I would suggest that you develop a code word with your children. I like using the code word emergency. Train your kids that when mommy or daddy says the code word, nothing less than unquestioned obedience should follow. No fussing, arguing, or hesitation is allowed. Practice some drills in public places using the code word and reward your children when they get it right. Practice by selectively yelling phrases like emergency, run to the car or emergency, get out of the house to get them in the habit of following orders immediately. You don't have to go into gory details with your children about what you are doing. Keep your explanation simple and non-frightening. Children are used to fire drills and tornado drills at school and aren't frightened by those. Place your training into the context of being just like the fire drill at school. You could even describe it as being similar to a game of Simon Says if you fear that other descriptions might frighten your child. Parents have an almost instinctive desire to shield their children from violence, both figuratively and literally. In the physical sense, this shielding process may unintentionally place your children in additional danger. Have you thought about what you would do if you were with a young child in a retail store that was being robbed? If you have, I presume that you wouldn't draw your weapon and risk putting your child in the middle of a shootout unless you believe someone was likely to be killed. That's good thinking. 
but I want you to take it one step further. How exactly would you position yourself in the store in relation to both the robber and your child? If you are like most parents, I bet you would place your child behind you so that your body could serve as a shield between the child and the robber. That may not be the best course of action. Think about the robbery scenario at the start of this article. As a test, I structured a training scenario in a class that I taught at the Tactical Defense Institute. The class was called FIST, Final Intensive Scenario Training. The class is only open to students who have graduated all six levels of our handgun training program. It is a weekend of scenario training where students can test their skills under the stress of interacting with live role-playing actors. Both the bad guys and the students carry paintball guns. All of the students in the class were very well trained and competent, both as shooters and tacticians. Most had graduated from numerous additional shooting schools besides TDI. In the scenario I conducted, the students were thrust into the middle of a convenience store robbery. There were two armed robbers and multiple innocent shoppers in a relatively small area. The students also had an actor, a 10-year-old boy, playing the role of their child with them. The robbery goes down as the student and their child are browsing the items on the shelf. The robbers drew guns and ordered the crowd to put their hands up. As soon as they saw compliance, one robber went for the store's money, while the other watched for resistance from the shoppers. To make matters interesting, the student's child began screaming, Daddy, you have a gun. Shoot him. Shoot him. That unexpected... (laughs) That would be so messed up, wouldn't it? Uh, That unexpected action challenged the student immensely. In real life, that sort of thing would likely get the student killed. During the scenario, after quieting the child, the student generally moved to a position to shield the child. The parent moved in front of the child to protect him from the violence that was occurring. It was almost an ingrained response among all of the students who were actually parents. Even the students who weren't really parents still shielded the actor child with their own body. That strategy didn't work out so well for many of the students or the child they were protecting. After shielding their child, some of the students drew their weapons and engaged the robbers. Bad move. Getting into a gunfight when your child is with you should be your absolute last option. Don't draw your gun unless you or someone you care about is likely to be killed. Protecting the store's money or apprehending a robber isn't worth your child's life. If you do decide to draw your gun because you think you will be killed otherwise, do you really think it's a good idea to have your child behind you? Whether Where do you think the bad guy's bullets are going to end up? When you enter a gunfight, you should expect that the gunman will shoot back. With bullets flying all around you, your child is safer almost anywhere but near your body. The act of protecting and shielding that works so well in a physical altercation may be potentially fatal for your children if gunplay is involved. Get your kids away from you if you draw your gun. Say the word, emergency, and order them to run out of the store. Even ordering them to duck behind a counter or get down on the floor would be preferable to having them stand beside or behind you. Be prepared for your child to freeze under the effects of stress. If they don't do as you've instructed, it's your job to move the firefight away from them. That's where all the practice you've done shooting while moving really pays off. If you carry a firearm, take the time to discuss response options with friends and family. Teach them that when you draw your gun, they must immediately follow your instructions. Tell your children and other family members that if you don't tell them what to do, their job should be to get as far away from you as possible. Seek cover and call the police. 
do drills similar to the emergency word discussed above with, a training wep- with training weapons in a private location. It's a simple plan. When my gun comes out or I say the word emergency, you do exactly what I say. If I don't tell you what to do, get as far away from me as possible. This type of pre-planning may save your life and prevent a potential tragedy. All right, good, good uh, information there. Great scenario uh, training and thinking that through. I think the idea of a code word is very important. Uh, I think that's uh, you know that's a great idea to start your kids, uh, you know, training training that or, or get them get them trained to start you know operating that way uh, and knowing what to do. So a uh, good article there. Um, maybe if you are interested in the school that he talked about, uh, the Tactical Defense Institute, uh, you can go and click on that link over at ActiveResponseTraining.com uh, or .net. I'm sorry, ActiveResponseTraining.net. Again, like always, I'm linking uh, to the articles on episode 78 and also on the show notes. So if you like iTunes or Stitcher, I know uh, I use Pocket Cast. And so it's coming out really nice on uh, we like when I download the episode to see what it's going to look like. Um, it's it's coming out exactly the way I format it. Now I don't know what it's looking like on all the other different uh, areas out there or different podcast catchers, um, but uh, it's it's nice and formatted, and you can go straight to the article from uh, like Pocket Cast. It will go straight there, and I'm assuming it'll do the same thing uh, in iTunes. I don't have an iPhone though, so I don't I don't use iTunes on my uh, you know as a phone. So uh, you know, go check those out. All right, our last article comes to us from PrepBlog.com. Um, the title of this one is Six Ways Famine Might Grip the U.S. And so this is uh, one of those articles that kind of gets you thinking that there's just so many different ways where we could experience crisis in the area of food. And that's why one you know, one thing that we talk about uh, so much when we're preparing is you know, food storage. Water, food storage, shelter, medical, defense, you know, those kinds of the basic kinds of things. Um, water, you know, when you think about water, you might be able to have water, um, you know, especially if you're out in the country or maybe even, you know, I live in the suburbs uh, and we do have some friends who, you know, do have a well, uh, and they're only, you know, probably about five minutes away from us. So, um, because where we live, I mean, back in the day, even like 20 years ago, it was very, uh, very much country pasture and stuff like that. So it's been built up a uh, really big one, well, not 20 years ago, maybe like, uh, maybe 40 years ago. Uh, and, um, so you know they have a well that they can they can depend on if they needed to. So uh, there's opportunities out there. I mean, definitely you need to have water storage. I'm not downplaying that at at all. Um, but you know a lot of the times you can do something about water. Um, you know food. You know once you kind of uh, go through the food that you have in your pantry. I mean that's kind of it if things have broken down. And so that's why one one of the reasons that we always uh, we always nail, you know, food food storage because that's a big important thing because you need to eat. All right, so uh, let's go ahead and start reading this one. Six ways famine might grip the U.S. Number one, EMP. One nuclear bomb detonated high in the ionosphere can ruin your whole decade. 
Most of the U.S. could be without power for a very long time. Computers and anything using computer components would be burned out. It's hard to say just how extensive the damage would be. Most cars would probably be inoperable. Cell phones may or may not be burnt out, but the cell towers definitely would be dead. Radio, TV, cable, internet would all shut down for a very long time. The infrastructure that supports modern communications took many decades to build up, and it would take just as long as to, to rebuild. Once we lose power, communications, and most transportation, there's no way to grow food but by manual labor. I'm not sure if irrigation systems would work, but the commercial systems which provide seed, fertilizer, and other resources would collapse. Money would probably be next to worthless, and most businesses would be instantly bankrupt. The end result of all this chaos would be famine. Um, just again with EMP. Uh, EMP is one of those romanticized things in, in preparedness. Again, uh, I'm not saying it would be romantic for it to happen. I'm just saying it's one of those things that always comes up in you know preparedness in, in preparedness fiction and preparedness articles. Uh, we still don't know exactly what would happen uh, if you know a nuclear bomb was uh, set off in the ionosphere and you know uh, we got that EMP effect. We don't know how to to what extent things would be burnt up. So um, you know there's a lot of information out there, uh, but again you know so but and, and I'm not I'm not downplaying that. If we had an EMP, I'm pretty sure uh, even if it burnt out. Uh, you know, just the electric lines or uh, just, uh, uh, you know, big plants and things like that. And it would be so devastating. Um, but just, you know, FYI, I mean, everyone, it, people say every little electronic thing that was ever created is going to be fried. And so, uh, you know, just something to, I just wanted to throw that one out there. All right, number two, fuel storage. Remember the gasoline shortages of the 1970s? I do not remember that. I was, uh, I was a little... Uh, young there, but <laughs> some of you do remember that. Uh, OPEC placed an oil embargo on the U.S. due to our support for Israel in the Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur War. Prices went way up and supply went way down. Well, there's a lot of other ways that an oil and gas shortage could occur. War in the Middle East would do it, or some political dispute leading to another embargo. Another trigger for a fuel shortage could be economics. If one of the major oil companies had an economic meltdown, similar to the banking crisis a few years back, the production and distribution of oil and gasoline could be disrupted. And once you have a fuel shortage, prices for everything rises because fuel is needed to ship goods. As for agriculture, fuel is needed to plant and harvest crops as well as to ship them and often a food crop is shipped many times from one company to another again and again until it finally makes it to your table. The longer the supply chain for producing and distributing, distributing food, the higher the prices go when fuel is expensive. Dramatically higher prices for food would then lead to violent protests, food thefts and robberies and the collapse of many businesses needed in the food supply chain. This would affect availability as well as price. Just, uh, I, I don't know if you're aware of it, just uh, the idea of a lot of the, the Middle Eastern countries were having an issue with Qatar because of uh, their uh, funding, were saying that they were funding terrorism. And so, uh, so not today, but yesterday, um, that would have been uh, Tuesday, um, the price of oil was going up because there was that uncertainty. And I think it came back and kind of leveraged, leveraged back, back off. But, um, you know, something as similar as just rumors 
rumors or talk of nations doing you know one thing or the other. Uh, I don't. It wasn't a rumor that that they were saying this about Qatar, but sometimes even rumors, just getting it out there, could start things. Uh, you know, one of the things that I, I've also recently read, and I can't remember if we I talked about this here on uh, on the podcast, but you have algorithms. Actually, I was listening to a podcast. Uh, I believe uh, so. There's algorithms out there that are that are watching stuff like even on Twitter, and so it was somebody hacked. Uh, that's what it was. Somebody hacked the AP and uh, the Associated Press's uh, Twitter handle, and they put out that a bomb went off in the White House. I think this was 2014. A bomb went December 2014, if if I'm not mistaken. A bomb went off in the White House, and President Obama was hurt. And it was it was out there just for a few seconds before the AP took it back down. But because all of these bots are watching Twitter and they're watching all of the the, the digital information that's going off there, going out there, and because they have the power to make uh, make very quick decisions and can sell and buy and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you had a little kind of flash crash. Now it recovered very quickly, but just in that, right? Uh, that that goes off. Uh, they're monitoring, you know, big news agencies like the AP, and so if they say something out there, they get whiff of of something out there, and they say it. Uh, that could dramatically just you know start a little snowball effect. So uh, it's it's kind of crazy out there how things are, and you need computers to be able to be that fast because sometimes you're talking about you know cents, you know uh, less than cents uh, in making trades that make money, but they're doing it in such a big volume that they're the, that's how they make their money. But they've got to be able to beat everybody else. So it's kind of kind of crazy how all that works. Um, continuing on, number three is economic collapse. Lots of problems could cause economic collapse. Our economy is a house of cards. This is this is a funny one, right? Our economy is a house of cards built on top of a set of dominoes in the back of a pickup truck with a very old shock absorbers driving along a bumpy dirt road. Okay, slight exaggeration, but really, a lot of different issues could collapse the economy, including a collapse of the economy of a foreign nation. When the economy of Greece almost collapsed a few years back, there were economic shock waves across Europe and in the U.S. The worldwide economy is all connected like a malicious Rube Goldberg device. Economic collapse is one of the most likely triggers for a famine. Once the economy fails, farmers don't have money for fertilizer or seed or fuel or labor. Companies involved in every step of the production and distribution system will go out of business. Fertile fields will lie untilled and unplanted. All the parts needed to grow food will still exist, but it takes money to move those parts around and put them into action. Number four is panic buying. This trigger for famine is mostly psychological. Some disasters give people the idea that there might be a food shortage, and whether that idea is true or not, they rush to the markets and buy up all the food. Then the grocery stores can't replenish the supply fast enough. This causes economic problems for companies in the food supply system, and many of them go out of business, further disrupting the food supply. Our current food economy is just in time. Most people have only weeks worth of their most used food items, especially fresh foods. Then maybe they have about a month's supply of non-perishables. I would just say that people have less than that. I mean, that's just my opinion. 
A good prepper has at least three or four months supply of food, but most people are not preppers, not even close. The supply system just can't produce food fast enough if everyone suddenly decided they needed three months worth of food. The other problem is that panic buying results in people buying too much of some foods and not enough of other foods, so they have a quantity of foods but not the right types. They might buy lots of carbs and little or no dietary fat. They might buy lots of perishable foods like meat and dairy, and they have no way to store them or use them before they perish. Panic buying does not make the best use of the available food supply. Number five is fertilizer shortage. Crop yields continue to rise year after year. We are growing more food on less land than ever before. How? Higher planting densities, which means more plants per acre of land. And that high plant population per acre is obtained by increasing the amounts of fertilizer and irrigation. If either one fails, we won't have enough land to feed our population anymore because yields per acre will plummet. There, there are only a few large companies that supply most of the fertilizer to commercial farms. If even one of those companies fails, or if civil unrest, economic crisis, or something else disrupts the supply of fertilizer, crop yields will collapse. Number six, water shortage. A large percentage of U.S. crops are heavily irrigated, mainly from aquifers deep underground. Those aquifers are being drained much faster than nature can replenish them. The drought in California is over, isn't it? But that aquifers in the state are still losing water faster than the rain can replenish them. It's a drought continuing deep underground. And it's occurring all over the Midwest as well as on the West Coast. Eventually there won't be enough water to maintain the high yields and U.S. agriculture will collapse. All of the above scenarios are what ifs. They, are, they may or may not happen depending on circumstances except the water shortage. That's not a matter of if but when. We are draining water from the underground aquifers so fast that it would take decades to refill the aquifers and that assuming all deep wells used for irrigation ceases. But that's just not the way the food economy works. We literally cannot feed our population on the amount of existing agricultural land without heavy irrigation and fertilizer. And the push to grow even more food on even less land continues. Sooner or later, something has to give. So a couple of comments there you might want to go check out uh, over at prepblog.com. So uh, something to think about. You know, you, we should have food storage. You just It just makes sense. Uh, you know, you're in a situation now where you can shop sales. You can go buy soup. You know, even if you're buying soup, uh, some of those like... Uh, you know the progresso soups the chunky soups i think uh you know if you if you haven't uh yet signed up for the the uh the email list and you automatically get signed up for the e-course in the food section i do, i do give i think about five or six uh just ideas of of what you can do you know one of the things that we uh tried here in our home uh, you know, the brand, I guess it's uh, Campbell's makes the brand Chunky Soup. Uh, so they make a couple of different ones. One is like beef, uh, uh, vegetable, whatever, sir, top sirloin, whatever. Um, but making, cooking up some rice uh, and then cooking up one or two of those cans to kind of spread it. Because really, uh, really uh, one person could probably eat two of those cans, right? Um if if you're looking at big guys like me and my boys, 
and we could probably eat two of those, but we took some rice and we poured one or I don't know one to one to three cans on that, kind of mixed it up, kind of made a a little kind of goulash type thing, and then we just kind of seasoned it with you know pepper or salt or even Tony's or whatever you know, and it was something that was edible. I mean, you could eat it, and so we did that a couple of times uh, just to see if that's something that we would you know we would be able to do. And so those are that that's something very very easy to do. So you can you know you can have rice. You should have rice. You should have beans. Um, you should have you know soups like that that you can use. Uh, you should have meals. There's uh, a lot of kind of uh, a lot of kind of uh, a lot of things out there that you can do. I did write an article a while back. Uh, I think it was a food train uh, that I was involved with, and it was a foolproof full store uh, food storage, and it was basically talking about using canned goods for your food storage and uh, how you should start off with that. Uh, yeah, you can have, you know, Mylar bags and, and five-gallon buckets and all that kind of stuff, but, it, you know, this would be easy to do. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and link to that one because that is a popular one um, uh, when it, when it you know, kind of recirculates out there, uh, foolproof food storage. So I'll, I'll go ahead and link to that one in the episode show notes so you can, uh, episode 78, so you can check that out and uh, kind of do that because if you if you're not doing that, you at least need to start doing you know getting that. Uh, you know, start out with um, seven meals that your family that you know your family will eat. Seven meals that you can create with either dry goods and a little bit of water or just all canned goods, right? And uh, you know, get that you know those seven meals and then duplicate that. Uh, you know, four times. And so you should be able to, you know, you would have uh, 28 meals, you know, a month's worth of food there that you could, you could have. And you start rotating that out. Uh, you know, you can start doing that. Uh, you know, look at some ways that you can do breakfast, you know, maybe some like some oatmeal, uh, instant oatmeal. Uh, if you like grits, I do not like grits, but maybe instant grits out there. Maybe having some pancake mix, the kind where you just add water, uh, syrup, you know, those kinds of things where you have three or four different items for breakfast that you could, you know, switch out every other day. And uh, then you start multiplying that. And so very, very easily, very quickly, uh, just sitting down and making a quick little menu, you can come up with a month's worth of food very, very quickly. And so, uh, again, uh, you know, you should you should have that. There's no reason why, um, you know, uh, we're in situations right now where uh, food is, you know, th- things are, are more expensive. You go to the grocery store and uh, you can buy just a few things. I mean, you're coming out spending 100 bucks. Uh, I'm always amazed at that, you know. I'm always like, man, where's where's all this, you know, going coming from? Uh, but it, it's also probably never going to be cheaper than it is right now. Um, so that's one way to look at it. So, uh, you know, do do what you can to stock up. Hey, don't forget to go check out that prepper uh, bundle. I'm going to link to that one as well. If you get a chance, come by the website, uh, share out our episodes, or drop me a line on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, I always love to hear from you. I love it when uh, you know people give me that feedback. It's like, hey Todd, I, I do appreciate the website or the podcast. Um, you know, that's that's always uh, just a positive a positive moment in my day when I see something like that. All right, as always, choose to live a more self reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government, grid, or the grind. Until next time, stay prepped and aware. Peace. <laughs>